Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of BDE, Big Dorm Energy. So I'm currently recording this episode on the floor of my room in my sorority house. I just moved in. Super fun, loving it here. I feel as though college is starting again and I'm so happy to be back. I definitely missed it. So today's episode, let's get right into it. I interviewed Jillian Gurney, who is a senior at Emory studying political science. She is from Los Angeles, California, and she and I talked about her high school experience attending Harvard Westlake and the cutthroat environment and how it prepared her for colleges, but also the advantages and disadvantages of attending that school. Jillian started out at BU and transferred after her freshman year, so she talks about her miserable first year of college and how it ultimately wasn't everything she expected and talks about how she ended up at Emory, why she chose that school and what she's doing there and what she's going to continue doing once she graduates. Excuse me. Such a hysterical episode. I could not stop laughing. But I think the thing I appreciate most is Jillian normalizes a topic that I think people don't talk enough about. It is okay to start somewhere in school and not be your happiest or not find your people right away and she talks about how maybe it didn't start off great right away, but she found her footing, she found her people, and is happier than ever. So with that, I hope you listen and enjoy. Hi. There okay. we go. I was concerned it wasn't working. Oh, no, no, no. We're good. Okay. My Wi-Fi is... We have a storm here from the hurricane, so the Wi-Fi is not... Oh, I should have even considered. My friend was texting me. He's like, it's the eye of the hurricane. It's, yeah, yeah. It's not, I mean, we're fine, but because we're in like a city city, but like Florida and, and Alabama are not doing so hot. But that's okay. So That's okay. That's so I'm funny. Not I'm not there. It's so foreign to me because people from LA well, go. Because you stayed in LA, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So experiencing anything other than sunny weather and fires. Right. So I haven't had that in a while because I they didn't have big fires until I went to college. So I haven't ever had to deal with it. You're so lucky. It's so gross because there's a pandemic going around, obviously. So everyone's wearing masks everywhere. But then on top of that, you have to wear a mask to protect yourself because the fires are so right. gross. So it's like eerie because no one's outside. And then there's like this weird cloud of smoke. And I'm like, oh, Literally, poor world. It looks, the, the pictures look terrifying. So yeah. glad I'm not there for that part. But... Yeah. Also, it's funny that I'm interviewing you because I like want to grow this and just reach out to people from other schools uh. and whatnot. And so I am home for the weekend or it's not the weekend yet. It's Friday, but I'm, is it Friday? No, it's Thursday. Oh my Thursday. God. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> yep. So I came home like a day or so ago because I was at an apartment in Westwood and then I came home because I just finished my summer session. So before I go back to school, I figured I'd come home. And so I was sitting at the table and I told my parents, I was like, oh yeah, I'm interviewing Jillian, whatever. And my mom's like, oh, that's so funny. I just saw Dawn. I was like, oh, it food. And he's Naturally. like, yeah. Oh, classically. Is it, did he go to food? That's so shocking to me. I feel like my mom's the one who does those duties, but sure. His, his one his one hour out of the house. The rest is recording uh, Rosh Hashanah services for next week or this weekend. So Friday, yeah, fr- tr- tomorrow. Literally, I I'm turned around. But yes, he recorded them. So that's that's been his 
his life. I just thought it was so and funny. our life, too. Yeah. Oh, do you hear the recordings? Oh, yeah. So, well, I've since been going back to college. I have been free of that. But we have had a lot of uh, hearing him sing and do Shabbat services at ungodly hours because our house is a contained space. So we hear him a lot. So Lovely. It's like some background noise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect for work. Perfect. <laughs> Creates but, a yes. conducive environment. No, I think that being home, nobody has their space to themselves. And so my wow. mom's a teacher. So the office has been transformed right. into a classroom. And then both my, my siblings dad, exactly. doing Zoom school. Yeah, it's just like. Exactly. It's a lot. So being away from that was definitely, I love my parents and I miss them very much, but it's helpful for work. And since I'm a senior, it's like a lot of work now. So 100%. it's. And have your little space. No, I think that exactly quarantine and COVID teaches you to value your freedom and independence even more so because at least for me, it felt as though I had like a taste of it. It was almost a dream because being on a quarter system, I started school in September, end of September, and then got sent home in March. Right. Yeah. It was bizarre because I was abroad when I was sent home. So I was in Milan, which was the epicenter of the European coronavirus, at least before it got to the US. So I was there for seven weeks and then had to flee the country before the borders closed a week later. Right. So it was also a fever dream. I don't feel like I actually went abroad, but yeah, it really sucks. Well, I'm glad that you agreed to come on. No, I'm so stoked. So I think that one thing I'm just curious about in general and want to talk to you about. So everybody knows of LA and like the LA private school scene. And so obviously mm-hmm. you and I went to elementary school in private school, but I think it's different when you continue on through middle school and high school. I think the culture just shifts. And so you went to Harvard Westlake, which is I did. a well-known school just in the country. <laughs> yes. It's like one of the top schools. So I was just hoping you could talk about that experience. Like, first of all, was it you who made the decision to go to that school or your parents kind of pushing you to take that leap? I think it was definitely my decision. I think that my parents were hesitant actually to send me because of the reputation that it had for being so intense and so challenging. But I think that that was how I wanted to spend my middle school and high school experience was being pushed and challenged because I think that I'm, although it might be easier to not, you know, be pushed, I'm bored when I'm not challenged. And so I think that that was my main reason for going academically speaking. And then I think also I was a big athlete, obviously, you know, growing up in elementary school and Harvard West, like, especially for all their activities, they are on the more intense side and I wanted to be challenged like that. And of course, with being challenged, there also come difficulties in that because it's hard to divide your time because if it's so intense, which I'm thankful for that, but it also is difficult to try and parcel out your time to, you know, give a good amount of your energy to each thing you do. So pros and cons for sure. A hundred percent. So what was it? Oh, there's a really scary yellow jacket outside my window. Sorry, really quick tangent. (laughs) No, it's like outside, but and I talked about it on a previous episode, I got stung by a bee twice and then a yellow jacket. 
in like less than 24 hours and it just traumatized me but so i just like I've saw been stung it once in my life and i'm still very afraid so i've never actually been like really stung so i think that's why i'm yeah so it just like caught me off guard i was I like empathize. be me <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that it's 100 percent. i agree with you about being bored if you're not being challenged and also about the struggles of dividing your time but i'm curious about what going to school there was like what did you feel it was a keeping up with the Joneses environment. Like everyone was wearing designer brands and uh-huh. the party scene was crazy and you had to be elite to keep up. Right. I mean, I think that I didn't feel that way within my friend group. I think because my friend group, uh, a lot of the people who I hung out with for the most part were similar to me. And that's not really my life or my style of how I go about living. But of course, I mean, since the greatest 300 kids it's on the bigger end of the spectrum for the private school size in LA so I think that because this uh 300 is larger of course you're going to get different populations of kids in each I think sector of you know a social scene so of course there are definitely kids who acted that way and there were kids who hated that so I think that it was definitely a combination of a lot of kinds of social scenes but I do think we often are branded for that being our only you know population representation and I think that, you know, whenever I tell somebody I went there, there are one of two reactions. Oh, you must be very smart. And oh, <laughs> you must live a certain lifestyle. And I think right. that it's not like that stereotype came out of nowhere, but because it exists. But I think that it's not as even throughout as people may think. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I just think also because of social media, it has created like yeah. a certain reputation of people who go there or graduate from there whatever it might be but did you feel because Harvard Westlake along with other private schools excuse me in LA they're college preparatory schools so did you feel from a young age a pressure that you had to go to an elite university or college like that's what you were prepared to do yeah I definitely felt that and I think that obviously it had to do with where I went to school but also I think also my internal kind of thoughts about it I think that was definitely it was a combination of the two. And I think being surrounded by such driven and intelligent kids is as a positive effect because you feel kind of inspired and encouraged to work harder. But also there is, of course, you know, the downside of it where sometimes you feel like your output is not as, you know, good as other people's work ethic or, you know, achievements. And I think that, you know, where I played basketball and of course kids are getting scholarships to schools. I played for fun. It's kind of not my you know, I wasn't planning to go to college for that. I think that it's both a positive environment, also difficult to be around kids of such talent, whether it be art, sports, music. I mean, so many kids have their niches there. So I think that there was this, I'm sure, pressure to rise to kind of your specific activity and trains like that into college for sure. I mean, it was definitely competitive to say the least, but I think that that has influenced, I think, both in a positive and also sometimes negative light. Do you think that when you were in school, you were competing with your classmates to such a degree that like it would cause you to just go off track? Like was it when somebody gets a grade, for example, and I know this happens everywhere in my school, Mm -hmm. you get a grade back and everyone's immediately whispering, oh, my God, what did you get? How did you do? And then either if you don't perform as well, then you just feel terrible. Like uh, compared to my classmates, I'm really stupid. Um, It's shouldn't be talked about as much as it is so that was definitely a a theme there for sure yeah and 
Did you have a dream school when you were at Harvard Westlake? I did. Yeah, I really, really wanted to go to Tufts. And I think that that was had that uh, epiphany junior year because I had always loved Boston. I knew I wanted a smaller size school. And I think that that was definitely the first school that I toured also. So from junior year onwards, that was kind of definitely where I had my sights set on. And spoiler alert, I don't go there. So (laughs) (laughs) So you have a taste of how it panned out. I do. Yes, exactly. So Tufts was your dream school. So did you apply ED there? How did that work? I did. Yeah. So I applied early decision. And I think that definitely the first semester senior year is when obviously everybody feels the most pressure to because everyone's hearing back. And it's very, you know, people open their college decisions on the quad in front of other people. It was just very, it was inevitable to not have it. Yeah, it was very weirdly, bizarrely public. And I didn't do that. But I think it was very inevitable to have your decisions kind of broadcasted because a lot of my friends did get into their early decision schools and of course you want to celebrate that but then of course it inadvertently and inevitably kind of makes those it definitely feel a divide for sure 100 percent. it still bewilders me that people do this stuff so publicly so i was very (laughs) similar to you but honestly in my friend's eyes too much so to a fault because ever Uh since even i'd say fifth grade I haven't wanted to share my grades or my scores I think even though we went to private school for elementary school it was still very competitive even though it was like fifth Mm -hmm. grade and so I just remember there was a moment where people kept asking me my scores and I just did not want to tell them so I just I wouldn't and I was very similar to that in high school with my standardized tests with subject tests with my grades and so it's just like humorous looking back on it but when it came time to apply to college everyone was curious Ashley where are you applying where are you applying I Mm -hmm. did not open my mouth eventually all the schools I applied to were very similar like uh big I go to UCLA so big state schools like Indiana Wisconsin Michigan Mm -hmm. UT whatever you get the vibe and so I ended up telling people and for me it was between uh, UCLA, Michigan, and Wisconsin, like in the final three when whatever. Anyway, people, when they found out I was going to UCLA, they had no idea I got in. They had no idea any of exactly. that because yeah. they just knew nothing. And so now my sister's going through it and we just joke she's going to tell people she's applying to like some religious, no-named Christian <laughs> school. And, Perfect. Like, <laughs> you know? Because yeah, I mean, it's scary yeah. to say like, Oh, for me, I never had a dream school, but it's scary to say like, oh, this is my dream school. This is everything I want. And then like for you with Tufts to say, I see myself at this school and then to have that not happen. I was just so afraid people would see me crumble as well as I just wouldn't know how to handle it. Right. I mean, I think that's, I was definitely afraid of that. And I think that I'm not one to withhold information just about my life from my friends. So I kind of didn't, I guess, see test scores. I didn't really, I didn't share, but then if it's about my life, college is a big deal. So of course I wanted to, you know, participate in the conversation with my friends, but I think that, and of course, inevitably adds this kind of sense of competition. And none of my friends were applying to similar places as me. They all ended up places that I never even applied to at all. So there was definitely the edge was taken off in terms of direct school competition. But of course, I mean, my friends go to fantastic schools. And so I think it was just definitely a a broader sense of competition. But I think that 
not getting in, although it seemed very difficult in the moment because I think every single one of my friends except for one got into the early decision school, uh, minus myself. So definitely I felt the divide, <laughs> but I think, right. So it felt great. Um, <laughs> but then I think obviously moving forward, I mean, everybody says, but it wasn't the right school for me, number one. And also number two, it definitely it gave me a chance to kind of reflect on, you know, wanting something so badly and not getting it and trying to, you know, recover from that. A hundred percent. So when that happens, were you deferred or were you just cold cut? Flat out, cold rejected. You know what? Honestly, I appreciate the honesty, number one. So thank you very much, Tufts. And I also think that it was, that you know, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be really, you know, incorporate humor as a defense mechanism, but you know, but I think that it also was helpful because I didn't need to hold on until regular decision. And so I think that that was a big thing with my friends who were deferred, then they, you know, held out hope and it was kind of hard to teeter that middle ground of, you know, not needing to love the school as much anymore, but still wanting to hold on a little bit of hope in case they were let in eventually. So I kind of, although it hurt more in the moment, it definitely was a quicker ripping the bandit off than having to wait five months to not be let in again. So hundred percent. I did appreciate that. <laughs> Shout out Tufts. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's a great school. Anybody goes there. <laughs> um, would you say that in your high school, you were like top of your class? Like how did you compare to your peers? No. <laughs> I think that, um, I think anybody who knows me knows that I, I do love school and I love to learn and I'm very engaged in it. Our high school, if you didn't have a bubble for a GPA, you were automatically in the bottom half of the class. Bottom half? Just bottom half yeah so that just kind of I guess describes in a nutshell the layout of how our high school works so I think that since I knew kind of coming into school like that that I wasn't ever gunning for you know graduating cum laude I wasn't ever gunning for you know graduating in that you know top fourth of the class so I think once I kind of let that go that I think that I wasn't it wasn't as much pressure honestly because I think that I was just trying to do well for myself. And I think that a lot of people got caught up more so in the standings that I never considered, mostly because I wasn't going to qualify for them. But I never, that wasn't really on my radar going through high school. I'm sorry. I just need to process this. So the top half of the class, everyone has above a 4.0. So does that mean they're taking like all APs and just getting all A's? More or less. A lot of A's and APs, yeah. Right. And you mentioned that you played sports in high school and struggled mm-hmm. with the balance between the two. So I was just wondering Definitely. if you could elaborate on what sport you played and how that affected your academic as well as yeah. athletic career. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I grew up playing sports. It's one of my favorite things to do still. And I played softball and basketball from seventh grade up until junior year. So quite a large chunk of my hard wrestling experience. And I think that will um, middle school, I loved because it was a kind of a great balance because it wasn't taken too seriously. But of course, they cared enough to, you know, make sure that it was a part of your school experience. But I think that ninth grade to 12th grade, it definitely bumped up a bit. I was playing uh, six days a week in the summer when I had a winter and spring sport. So I was pretty much around the clock, a athlete and student. And it was very beneficial for the students who wanted to go to our school to then go to college for sports. Like that was their main goal. Mm -hmm. And so that was very effective for those who, you know, devoted all their time to that. But I was trying to go to school for academics. And so I think that it was definitely, there was a divide on the sports things I played on for those who were, you know, focusing all their energy into sports as a way to go to college. And I was one of the few who wasn't. And so it was definitely a different 
experience. It was a lot of getting home very late, passing the sun went down, and then, you know, staying up very late, doing a lot of homework. So it was definitely a lot of sleep deprivation. But I did, I, I loved playing because I love playing team sports. And that's where I met some of my best friends. But I think the most difficult part was also, also I mean, you also tore your ACL. So I tore my ACL, obviously, when I was in 10th grade. So I was 15 at the time. And wait, I was going to ask you about that. Did you tore, yeah. tear your ACL and your and meniscus? meniscus? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So I had to do both because one was not. <laughs> so I did both when I was a sophomore and okay. I had surgery over winter break uh, as a sophomore. And then that was pretty that was the end of my basketball career in high school. And then that was pretty much nearing the end of my sophomore career. So that was kind of a it was a weird difference because I was still on both teams and had to dedicate my time to both teams without playing. So that was in the heart of ACT's college stuff. So that was kind of a... You were still on the team? It was a weird difference because I was still on both teams and had to dedicate my time to both teams without playing. So that was in the heart of... So That's so frustrating. Sure. No, I... So I wasn't sure if you tore both. So I only tore my ACL and then my MCL only need surgery oh, on my okay. ACL but it ruined any chance of me yeah. playing sports for the rest exactly. of high school because I tore it junior year but it sucks sucks for sure it sucks yeah and I think that all a lot of my athlete friends that you kind of don't understand what it feels like to be silent for something out of your control until it happens to you as ridiculously cheesy as that sounds so it was very very frustrating for me to watch you know seasons go by when I couldn't play so that really was you know frustrating for sure 100 percent. and I also don't think people talk about it enough where when you get an injury yeah. and I wasn't somebody who was like going to play professionally so had the intensive care that somebody who is like a UCLA exactly. football player gets exactly I don't know about you but it just changed me as a person I'd say for a couple months like I would obviously I took a week off school but then I immediately was like I want to get back into this I don't want to fall behind I don't want to feel as though people are treating me differently like I still want to walk to class on my own I want to do all these little things and then you're just physically unable to stay up super late doing your homework or studying for certain exams and it really affected me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I felt very disconnected. I mean, my friends were great because it was over winter breaks and my friends, you know, took shifts coming over and hanging out with me and just like watching TV. There's not much else you can do, but it was definitely a big disconnect because for them, although my friends are the greatest, when they come over, they're very sweet. And then when they leave, that's the end of their, you know, involvement with, you know, me Mm -hmm. being injured. And then I have to continuously do that for the next, you know, six months. So I think that and that's nothing against them. It's for anybody. I mean, it's hard yeah. to, you know, you don't want them to have full involvement in your injured life. It's definitely convenient to be able to, you know, turn it on and care and then kind of go about your own business. So it's kind of hard to not be able to do that and have to stick it out and not be able to heal as quick quickly as you want. A hundred percent. And one last thing on that. Did you have to sleep with yeah. like a leg brace? So, yeah, I didn't. So I've heard because, of course, there's, of course, the different knee surgeons in Los Angeles. And I've heard many because many kids from Harvard Westlake tore their knees. So we had a plethora of surgeons to choose from. Thank you. And um, a lot of kids had to put their knee in a knee bending machine. I've heard of this where you for the first two weeks out of surgery, they want you to get your mobility back, which since you've had surgery, you know how painful it is to even like have someone touch your leg. 
I didn't have to do that, thank God. I had to sleep just with an ice machine. So it kind of, it's kind of like a, a loud engine in the middle of the night. It would pump ice onto my leg. Yeah, I'm assuming you didn't have this, by the way. It was like a tube that went through this machine and then went into a brace that I put on my knee and my dog was very scared of it. So that was a two-week stint. And that was the extent of my machinery. The rest was just like crutches and a regular like 180-degree brace. I don't even remember what mine looked like. Mine was just like a fat brace that I had to elevate my knee Lots with. Of, yeah, yeah. It was elevated like above your heart. It was a very mm-hmm. like hard, yeah. I yeah. didn't sleep. The positioning was very bizarre. No, no, you can't because I sleep on my I sleep on my stomach anyways. I couldn't. It was. Oh, you're yeah, a stomach so sleeper? Like half stomach size, like just not back. I, I can so do back. Is, I'm back inside. I'm like a straight sleeper. Like, I don't really shift I, much. I, I, I wish because I didn't sleep for a while. So I mean, I still didn't because it's so uncomfortable. Your leg is stuck like a, like a straight like chopstick. It's very uncomfortable and you can't bend it. So you know, lots of cramps and we, yeah. <laughs> Definitely fun. Miss I those days. Tore your ACL and your meniscus, and so that was yes. kind of the end of your sports career. So you're looking at colleges, you get rejected from Tufts, really winning yeah. out here. Like you're doing really That's great. Going for me. Oh yeah, when you say when you like verbalize, it really makes it sound great. Yeah. I'm just hyping you up. I'm just not. hyping you up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so nice. that happens. So it's winter break of your senior year, and you have to reevaluate yes. what what's yes. going through your head. What are you looking for? What's the vibe? So this is where I think mistakes were made. I'll preface it with that. So I think that this was definitely, I think, if we look back on the culture of my high school, this is where I think it kind of seeped into my own thinking. I really hadn't let it to that this degree up until this point. But since all my friends, as I said, were into their schools, I was kind of looking to be done. And I realized, I think that probably compromised. Done isn't done with the college process. I was looking to just be into a school, to be committed, to be done. And I was just very frustrated with being the last one of my friends. And it was very frustrating. And I think that because of that, I was looking at ED2 options. Was this the right call? Probably not, because I knew nothing about the places where I was applying. And so I think that that was kind of the main thing driving the ship at that point. And I think that, so I ended up applying ED2 to BU. And my reasoning behind that, this is genuinely my thought process was, it's in Boston, as was Tufts, good. That was my thought process when I applied to <laughs> BU. And I think that looking back on that, it was a way bigger decision than I, you know, chalked it up to. And so that was what I ended up going with. And I, and I don't think that, I wish I had given it more thought, but I think that that was kind of where my brain was going because I was so frustrated. My friends were, you know, having a good time and being into their colleges and as little as it sounds, you know, being able to like buy apparel, being able to commit somewhere. It just seemed like this idea that I wanted to be a part of. And I think that's what kind of also rushed the decision for me for the second time around. Interesting. And so once you got accepted to BU, were you so Mm -hmm. excited? Like what was your thought process and outlook? Right. So this was the first red flag is that I wasn't that excited. And I didn't know why, because I was like, you're into college. This is amazing. You get to go to school. And I and I think I got in, in February because that's when ED2 comes out. And my friends were so excited for me. And I just wasn't, I felt very, again, disconnected from the scenario. I mean, I went along with it because 
I thought it was me being nervous about going to college in general. This is why I wasn't excited because I didn't really do sleepaway camps growing up at all. Like I wasn't like someone to, you know, go on lots of, you know, sleepovers. I was very like, a, you know, stay at home kind of kid. I mean, you grew up with me, you knew that, but, but I, I, th I thought it was me being nervous about just going away to college in general. And so I was like rationalizing that is why I wasn't super excited. But I mean, my parents told me this only years after the fact, they were like, we kind of knew that this wasn't the right path. I mean, but what can you do as parents? You have to just be excited and hope that it works. Real quickly, were you somebody who would go to a sleepover and then have their parents come and pick them up before the night ended? So no, as you think that I would know, I just didn't go to the <laughs> or come to my house or to sleepover at my home. So I wanted to avoid that scenario at all costs. So I would either not go until I was ready to go or have people come over to my house. So no, I was not a, a half-ass kind of person. I would never, mm -mm, was not that kid. <laughs> I, I was. Say, I was not. I waited. I waited until I was ready. No, that's so. good. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was, despite my years of sleepaway camp. I can't tell you the number of times I went over to my friend's houses, had the best time, went to bed, and then at like 11.30, Mom, Dad, can you come pick me up? And they're like, Ashley, again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So those were the days. Yeah. Those were the days. Going to bed at like 9 30, 10, play dates. I wish. Yeah. Oh. You're like, whatever, we'll figure it out. Hopefully it ends up working out. So you mm -hmm. get to be you. First of all, mm -hmm. what was it like finding a roommate and like that whole <laughs> process? Uh -huh. Yeah, I think that finding a roommate, I went with because nobody from Harvard West, like minus one girl who we didn't really know each other too well, went to BU. So it was two kids. So I didn't really have a lot of people to choose from high school wise. And people from LA went, but they all had our, you know, previous arrangements with people they knew. So LA wasn't an option either. And so the Facebook group was kind of like the main vehicle for everybody to try and find a roommate and uh, this girl seemed, you know, very uh, normal, average college student, whatever. And so we, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm being so respectful. No, she's a very lovely person. Yeah. So we, what I didn't take into account was people's nightly schedules and morning schedules. I didn't really understand it because I'm an only child also. So this is kind of like the first time I'd shared a lot of things. A so lot of shifts. A lot. Yeah, it's a lot of big shifts. And so I think that she was much more, she's very early riser, very early to bed. And I go to bed very late. I'm very quiet when I'm awake, but I go to bed very late. So I think just the sleep compatibility schedule was just not, you know, as ideal as it could be. And um, I'm much more outgoing. She's much more quiet. I think that it just definitely was a lot of um, clashes. But the one thing I will say is that she kept it room so impeccably clean it was like a like a blessing from because I also am very clean so since our room was a shoebox it was very much appreciated that we both kind of had the understanding that we wanted to keep it clean so that was great but yes finding a roommate it was via Facebook that was kind of where a lot of the first kind of streams of contact started so you get your roommate and then when you get there were you once you went on camp had first of all had you visited before or did you just eat each blindly? yeah so I had visited before and I'd been to, this would be my third time going to Boston. So I'd seen it not through a college lens before. And then I'd also toured it uh, once more. And then they had orientation dates where you go over the summer mm -hmm. and you go and then you just stay for like two days. So I'd been there at this point twice. So I knew the campus relatively well for being a new student. And I got there a week before all most kids because they had a, um, 
like community service orientation week. And so you got to move in early, which was great. So it wasn't as hectic. And then you had orientation and then school started the next week. So I was there late August. And when you got on campus, because normally when you go to a school that you love, you just get this indescribable, visceral feeling. Mm-hmm. This is my home. Right. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to be. Clearly, it doesn't sound uh, like you experienced no, that. No, no, that was not felt. <laughs> so I think that... No, no, that was not felt. <laughs> so I think that it was a very interesting like adversarial relationship because I love Boston to this day I would love to move back there at some point so I think that it was a bizarre mix of emotions where I was so excited to be in Boston and I just wasn't excited to be at the school where I was at so I was very emotionally just kind of confused as to what I was feeling but again I chalked that up to being a new college student because you're so overwhelmed and overstimulated the first even semester of being a college student there's just so many new things new people new experiences so I just kind of reasoned with myself for September and October that this was just all foreign territory and it's just a lot of some kids take a little bit longer to get adjusted I'm definitely one of those kids so I think that I thought that's a lot of what the feelings were it was hard to discern were you unhappy on campus like in those months of September and October were you like Mm -hmm. oh this is fun I'm enjoying myself this bee needs to calm down and get away from my window holy crap okay please that's for me yes (laughs) Um, were you having a good time or were you just constantly like, I'm just not happy? It was, I wasn't constantly miserable. And I also wasn't constantly on top of the world. But again, I feel like that's kind of a normal because a lot of people, especially, you know, high school, when you apply to college, a lot of high schools treat that as the end game of what you're trying to do. And I think there's very little conversation about this is the beginning of a new chapter in your life. It's okay to struggle. It's normal to struggle because obviously it's a very commonly talked about thing. Everybody feels the need to put up a front with social media and act like they're having a great time. I hate that. And so I just, if I'm not having a good time, I don't post anything. And yeah. I feel like, and and so I didn't post a lot. And I think my friends are like, oh, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just adjusting because, you know, it takes a minute to warm up to people and just to get to know people. So it was definitely a mixture of, I had some really, I went to a lot of Red Sox games since my dorm was next to Fenway Park. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I met a lot of kids in my classes. Like I was definitely just being introduced to the school. So some of that was fun. Some of that wasn't fun. I think, well, being away from home definitely wasn't fun. And also this sounds very, I mean, Cantor's daughter-esque, but being away for high holidays the first year as a freshman is bizarre and I hated it and just... Hillel's a great organization, but it just can't compare, of course, when your dad is one doing services at home. So I just felt that felt a definitely reminder of, you know, how far away from home I was because I was, I think, Boston now, like with a six and a half hour flight, I was really far. And I think that I was, parts that weren't fun were just kind of realizing how independent you are, which is both the fun part and the not so fun part because you feel a lot of pressure that you are the only one that can really take care of yourself. But I think that with that obviously comes a lot of growth and maturity for sure. Do you think academically it was difficult for you? That was the one part where I wasn't, struggling at all and didn't really feel a lot of difficulty which I do obviously also reason to the high school that I went to and how I was you know taught to manage my time and write I think were the two biggest things I learned at Harvard West like and so I didn't feel academics to be a problem at all it was definitely interesting to see what kids prioritized school and what kids didn't prioritize school and what kids weren't there to learn because people are all there for different reasons and I think that I definitely wanted to be there for school and it was a very obviously at any college it's a wide variety on the spectrum of what where you want to be and why you want to be there and so the school part I didn't find difficult at all I actually 
liked a lot of my professors. I so that was definitely a good that was kind of a grounding part. But that's not the part that I expected to like. I expected to want to like the social stuff and expected to kind of have to grow into the academic part. And that was kind of the reverse for me. Did you join any clubs or were you like going out frequently? What was like your lifestyle? What did it look like? I I love hiking. So I did a lot of like hiking with like the outdoors club. I also in my major's political science and I'm very politically active or at that point I wasn't yet, but wanted to be. And some of the clubs just weren't as communal as I wanted them to be. And I think that that was kind of my first point of analysis to why maybe this wasn't the right fit for me, because I think that BU is very pre-professional in the sense that there are, I think this is correct, 11 undergraduate schools. It's a lot for um, a lot of kids. And so I think that if you are in, for example, the School of Communications, which is fantastic, by the way, um, and the business school or school of like, you know, hospitality, they're very good niches for you to be involved in because it kind of makes the big school super small. And then there are a lot of cool things to get involved when within with within each you know school exactly but being a political science major in the huge umbrella of just the college of arts and sciences it felt a little more daunting number one to get involved with things number two there was less established communities and the lack of a campus definitely emphasized that so that was the biggest thing for me is that bu i don't know i mean it's it's a long street and it's just one long street essentially and there's no I mean, there is, of course, a central campus, but there's no quad. There's no typical college campus. Right. And do you think that, I know you touched on it briefly, but your struggles that you encountered with your roommate, like you guys, it seems like were in besties. Right. And I think that definitely affected my experience there. And, you know, of course, nothing against her because I'm sure she was obviously feeling, you know, stuff similar to me. And we just probably couldn't connect on that level because we weren't as similar. But I think that all of my friends for the most part their first best friend was a roommate and of course maybe it's not their very best friend now but that's their starting point and then they met friends through each other and so i think that and i i definitely think that if i had a different experience on that front i mean because all it takes is one person really because then it just mm-hmm. kind of exponentially grows and offshoots to other people um so i think that it was definitely i don't think it was the right school for me but i definitely also think that it was a combination of luck too. If I had just been paired with someone down the hall or someone just met somebody in October that made me want to stay or made me think of it differently, I think that it definitely would have made me view it differently. So Um, for socially, the luck for sure, yeah. So you're like, I'm not vibing with this school, not everything Mm -hmm. I anticipated. Then when did you think about, oh, maybe do I want to transfer? Well, I, funny enough, forgot that that was an option I literally was there for September and October and I was so miserable and of course miserable children of course contact their parents way more than they should and so my mom on the phone one time yeah yeah was so upset well not upset me just upset that I was so upset yeah because you can leave if you want and I was like come home she goes no not come home but just go elsewhere and I was like oh my god you're right I like forgot that that was an option because I think that all my friends from high school were now in the college just settled in and were loving it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this is where I have to be. And I just wasn't used to there being kind of point A to point B. There can be kind of like a different amount of stops along the way. And I forgot that that was an option. So I think it was uh, October, I think, when I was considering it. And then Thanksgiving, when it was just so painful to come back to school, I was like, this should not be it. And I, I should probably start researching. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It's also funny that you say that because I say this to my parents all the time. I never call them when I'm happy. 
Like, I'm not like, hey, right. mom, I'm having a great day. It's like, hey, mom, mm-hmm. like, this went wrong, you know? And so right. I feel sometimes my parents just think I'm miserable all the time if I call them. But it's just like, I don't tell you any of the good stuff. I only tell you the bad stuff. Right. I think I'm trying to make that to, to do more on both sides now. Like if something great happens, I'll also call them because I will obviously mean your life is not just one or the other. But I think at that point, it was a whole lot of emotion. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. I have a few questions regarding the transfer mm. process. One, yes. when do you have to get your transfer application in? Mm-hmm. So it depends if you wanted to switch for the next upcoming semester, which to me seemed like very daunting just to pick up your stuff and like book it and go elsewhere. That would be, you have to get them in, I believe, by late October, November. You have to know, I think, right away that you want to leave. And I didn't know as much right away. But to go for the next year, it would be March, I think. So it's November. You come back from Thanksgiving. You're like, this isn't where I want to be. I've talked about it with my parents. I feel this way. Great. So then what goes through your head? Where are you like, I want to spend the next three years of my academic career? Right. So the first thought process was, I'm so frustrated here, but where do I even go? I had no, I like no concept of what I wanted. And I think that I had to, I really do praise Harvard West like on this front because I, their college, you know, counseling is just very strong and very good with alumni too. So I reached out to them and said like, I'm not loving where I am, help. And so I had, you know, meetings with them, which is great that they still extend their, you know, services to alumni, which is great. And so I talked to them and they were like, why don't you like be? Because I think that was the first question is what do I not like here that I can, that I need to find differently elsewhere. And I think the big takeaways I had were it was really large and that felt daunting to me. I didn't like being a small fish in a big pond. And then secondly, I kind of wanted more of an academic push. I didn't feel super motivated by other people as much as I wanted to, to do really well. And of course, that is not to say that it's not a fantastic school and that's not that, you know, driven kids don't go there because that's definitely not true. They absolutely do. But I think that I just wasn't as closely surrounded by it. And I think that probably has to do with how the communities are so large. And I think I just wanted everything smaller in general. So I think that looking at that, that the smaller was definitely one, a Jewish community, which BU definitely has, but smaller was definitely what I was looking for. And those are the two big takeaways. And even though those are two, only two filters, it really doesn't give you a lot of options left, actually, when you have those two things taken into account. So that kind of narrowed my search. Um, the two ones I looked at were Emory and WashU, which, I mean, seems pretty um, right up the alley of what I just described. And other ones that I tentatively looked at were Wesleyan, Brandeis, I think I also looked at. But I think that um, both from having friends who went to WashU and Emory or friends, siblings or just family friends, that seemed like the pretty mid-sized kind of school that I wanted and a lot of kids that I'd known or older kids who'd gone there they just their remarks of the school were that it was a very warm not temperature but social environment like it was super people were just very inviting and I think that that's what I was missing and looking for. So did you go and visit what were the next steps you took? So I didn't visit, which maybe seems a little crazy because I think that it was hard just to all of a sudden fly to Atlanta or St. Louis in the middle of a school year and winter break, we were wondering if it's even worth the trip out there because we didn't know at that point that that was exactly what I was going to do. So I applied without visiting and I attended the next year without ever having been there until then. So it was very interesting and new, but no, I did not. 
So that's crazy that you didn't even visit. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hey, I had this bad experience. I'm going to go here now. When you, so why did you ultimately choose Emory over WashU? I think that um, I, for, up in the application process, Emory was my number one from the beginning. And I think that I was very, in the beginning of the, you know, senior year of high school, college process, very close lines. And I thought, I want to be in the Northeast. Why? I don't know. That makes no sense because I understand now as a senior facing location for grad school or for law school based on where you want job opportunities, et cetera. But the college should be college for a city second. And I think that was definitely something I, I can always go to Boston. So I think that that was definitely my biggest oversight is that I miss schools like WashU or um, Emory. And I it's OK because I knew that I wanted a city nearby but I was very specific about what city that was. And I think that was kind of definitely caused me to gloss over some places. So I think that Emory was definitely my number one because it seemed like just a very, you know, tight community. I knew a lot of people who went there that just have like had great remarks about just academically driven kids who really just are, I don't know, like inspiring to be around, honestly, and really all are just, it's almost like Harvard Westlake without the, competitive at the expense of someone else mentality because i think that I, I find everyone here to be pretty much to a very high academic standard and people are very challenged and say very insightful things and just want to be around you know other people like that but i haven't found in my experience i mean maybe this is my major maybe it's different in different majors i haven't found that people want to do better and you do worse than that i right. think i found that people kind of just want everybody to do well if they can so i think that a lot of that in conjunction with it being 50 minutes from Atlanta, they have a really great Jewish life here and also a lot of very active political clubs. That was definitely something else that I highly considered because with the current presidency and my major, I really wanted to get involved in a lot of politics and it seemed like that was really prevalent on every campus. Yeah. And so when you before you went, did you have this outlook like I need to change how I operate or I need to change mm-hmm. my mindset because you really did a 180 where you just full send it and went to a different school. Yeah, I did. a. It was a very big 180. And I think all my friends were in very different scenarios. So it was hard. For, it was just interesting. I had nothing to base it off of. I'd never really not known a lot of people who transferred before. So it was, I was basing it off of nothing at this point. But I think that I do have my friends and family to thank for this a lot. They kept saying to me throughout the entire process, it's not you, why you didn't thrive. It was just not a right fit. And so I think that that was the most important piece of advice because I'm sure a lot of people feel like they need to change who they are and how they operate and you know how they conduct themselves to go to a new place. But I, it's not the case. I think it was just kind of, I didn't mesh well with that school. But I definitely felt the pressure to, of course, be on my best behavior, just be very exuberant and not going all the time. And that obviously made me very exhausted the first two months because you're just trying to overcompensate for missing a year almost. So that was definitely a big pressure just internally, for sure. So when did you feel like, okay, I finally feel at home and secure with my decision? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think honestly, this the differences in reactions when I got into both schools. I didn't feel, of course, at home because I hadn't gone yet and hadn't met people yet. But when I got into Emory, like I just immediately started crying. And I was like, this is the reaction I probably should have had the year beforehand. And so it was definitely validation and like a gut feeling that this was definitely more of the correct place and where I should have been. Of course, I think that transferring, it's not just a magical flip the switch and everything is okay. Of course, you're going to have some 
difficult times and it is difficult at a smaller school to kind of crack into social circles that have already been preformed. So that's something I'd never had to do. So of course it was definitely sophomore year in general was an adjustment period in and of itself, but I felt more like cared for and I felt more like, I guess, um, a friend to people. So I think that that definitely, although you're not, I wasn't like a hundred percent safe and secure because I was essentially a freshman in my eyes there. I definitely felt much more comforted than the year prior. Yeah, I think that's super important. And I think it makes you just look at like what you want out of a place and how you're going to adjust and integrate yourself into that environment. Do you think uh, Harvard Westlake, excuse me, prepared you well for Emerson? I feel overwhelmed because it's a difficult school, but I don't ever feel as though the task at hand is impossible. And I don't ever feel as though... I don't have the means and time management skills to get stuff done. I think that, of course, you're lazy sometimes, you're procrastinating sometimes, but I think that I feel very confident in the skills I'm equipped with to be a good writer and write clearly and also to time manage and multitask for sure. So I think that it definitely prepared me well to succeed here for sure. Yeah. And do you still keep in touch with any people from BU? I think so. No. I think through like the social media realm, probably, but I, I don't really think I met anybody that I felt impacted by enough to keep in contact with. As weird as it sounds, because it is a year of my life that obviously has shaped me into who I am, but I don't think I maintain contact with anybody from that year, no. I know that you were not happy at BU, but were you like, I'm not happy, but I know where I am. And were you willing to risk the safety over the unknown, if that makes sense. Like Emory and transferring schools was so unknown, but BU, although you weren't happy, you mm-hmm. knew what it was going to be like. So were you like, I will stay here and stick it out because I don't want to go through this again? Or were you like, it's so bad, mm-hmm. I'm willing to risk it all? I think I was definitely willing to risk it. I think I got to the point where I was like, I need something new and I need a re- like a restart button. But of course, when I was there, did I miss Boston a lot and miss kind of, even though I didn't like it, missed the comfort of knowing where the dining hall was, knowing how to get around places. I missed the comfort of where I was, but not necessarily the, the school itself. So I think that there's always going to be some kind of longing for more stability when you shift from one place to another. But I don't think that necessarily is always correlated to loving the place where you were at, I think. Yeah, I think... People also, though, don't talk about the transferring process enough. Like you mentioned Mm -hmm. before, you didn't know anyone who really transferred. And so I think just taking that leap of faith in itself is daunting. I, it's hard to be adaptable. And obviously, I take time to adjust. But I think that I knew that that was definitely a worth it risk. So overall, would you say you're very happy with your decision and where you're at now? Definitely. Overall, I am very happy to be here. I've made some of my best friends that now contribute in addition to my friends from home. So I feel much more stable here and also very proud to go here too. I think that was definitely something that I was lacking because if I'm not super thrilled in my life at BU, I wasn't all, I wasn't super proud to tell people I went to school because I didn't love it because people expect you to kind of love where you go. And now I definitely can confidently say I do for sure. Okay. That makes me so happy. And how have you been doing with COVID and quarantine? And so you're in Atlanta right now. 
I am in Nirvana. Yes. So I am, I've been here since I think for a little over a month now. So school started August 19th, which was a little earlier. And because of majoring in political science, I made sure to get involved in election stuff for this upcoming year, especially because living in Georgia right now, even though it's uh, COVID, it's still a huge swing state and much different than living in California. So I currently am doing, yeah. Huh? Yes, please. Okay, that was my that was my second point because I'm currently working two jobs, both phone banking, a lot of you know calls a day with the purpose of voting. So everybody, please vote because that's kind of my that's like what's mainly on my mind right now is the election. I'm doing school as well, but it's a lot of registering people to vote and getting prepared for the election. So it's stressful, but it's hopefully exciting. Yeah, I did an internship over the summer that also, so I'm also a political science major, might change. Why did I not know that? Nobody, I mean, some people expect it. Some people think I'm communications or whatever they assume, but I am political science major and I had an internship over the summer that also dealt with a new voters project and I'm continuing Mm. it throughout the year, but there was a lot of phone banking and I know it's so important and I know with COVID it's harder to register people to vote, but it was boring as hell. Yeah. Like, I mean, hello. It's hard. yeah, it's hard. Yeah. In the script, it's very monotonous and you're talking and I lost my voice earlier this week. It's back now because it's just a lot of talking on the phone and a lot of repeating the same message over and over again. But then, um, then you get, because there's a lot of them, obviously, you know, no responses. A lot of people aren't picking up the phone and it's just very frustrating. But then I got two responses yesterday when people were like, what's your name? You're just such a fantastic, thank you so much. They were very grateful. So that kind of is what, you know, propels you to keep going. It's very, very sweet because these people, I mean, I get frustrated when people call me who I don't know and try and solicit, it's not soliciting, but trying no, to yeah. for things. And I, it's, it's really appreciated when people take a minute to, you know, thank you for the work they're doing. And it definitely makes you feel like you're making an impact. Who are you? Are you doing it with your school or is it a separate organization? So um, I'm doing it one with the Jewish Democratic Council of America. It's a great organization. It does it's like national phone making and also specific swing states for both Jewish values and progressive values. And then I'm also doing stuff with the Democratic Party of Georgia. So specifically Georgia stuff, since there are not only the presidential election, but two Senate races and I believe two co- or three congressional races. So Georgia's like major, major this year. So it's a lot of a lot of phone banking and a lot of virtual events for both of them. And they often coincide. I think it's pretty it's, cool. It'd be, it'd be a first. Yeah. I think it's really cool when the stuff you're doing or the stuff you're studying is very current and affects you directly. That's why I think politics is interesting to me because whether or not like who you vote, like it becomes very divisive when you talk about it. And I'm not going to shame yeah. you for who you vote for. I'm like, that's not who I am as a person. Right. And that's not my yeah. goal. But I think just to uh-huh. educate people and educate yourself and, and learning about how the stuff that's going on doesn't just affect like the broader population, but it affects you right. specifically. It's a shame that the idea of voting has become so politicized because it's simply expressing and voicing your democratic vote and your civic obligation and it's unfortunate that there's so much you know hate and rhetoric around just the act of voting which is very upsetting to me but i think that to be ignorant about what's going on right now or just to not understand what's going on politically is definitely a privilege that i don't think people understand because a lot of people could just 
and you know, including a lot of people, myself, a lot of people, we could just not care about what's going on right now. And it wouldn't really affect us too much. But I think that it's about obviously, yes, issues within your peripheral, but also like you're thinking way bigger. And I think it just kind of the ability to think bigger is a lot of things I think people need to be coached in and educated on. But I think once you can see that issues affect a lot more than yourself and that's why we do what we do and that's why we care, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, I think that was very well said. So are you going to go to law school next? Like what's your... (laughs) I'm one of the very few political science majors who does not want to go to law school. And I think that, yeah, so I think that that took a minute to decide. I took a constitutional law and first amendment class and I realized that I don't think I would make it through law school I don't know if I would I think the end goal of being a lawyer I'm not sure that that would be fulfilling for me because I also love the entertainment industry and more of a creative realm of that because I've done both political internships but also production company internships before so my goal is to try and combine the two and do more of a digital media potentially political consulting stuff having to do with the media creative side of politics. So there's a lot of like that's political so consulting agencies. Yeah, it was just, it's crazy because it took a while to kind of come upon that's like definitely like a three week old development and it'll probably change because naturally, but I think that a lot of stuff that I've done has either been too much into film or too much into politics, but I want to try and combine because I think that I would be upset if I wasn't involved in politics in some way because I care a lot about it, but I would be also upset if there wasn't some creative aspect to it. That's so awesome. And it honestly makes me feel better because I have no idea what I want to do in my life. Like I have (laughs) no idea. And so seeing how it took you time to blend your two interests together just gives me hope that one day I'll just wake up and have this moment of clarity of, I think this would be so awesome to do. Yeah, I mean, might or like you might, it might take longer than like a moment because a lot of my friends, especially at Emory, because Emory is very uh, pre-med and pre-business dominant. And so I think that both of those majors or paths have very specific and rigid career paths where it's either med school or you get an MBA or you go work at a, you know, financial investment bank or something that's very specific and I think that that definitely that insecurity of kind of not knowing where your next step is going to be is definitely highlighted by those around you kind of have return offers since they were juniors in college it's definitely a different path but things change so rapidly and obviously like what's going on right now I feel like it changes a lot of like I mean this sounds very motherly because this is how my mom talks to me but like you have no idea what jobs are going to be out there in five years like stuff that we may be doing hasn't even been created yet you mentioned before, but it's very monotonous. It's very tedious. There's not much going on. And I think talking to you just gave me like a little bit of hope. I know that sounds cheesy, but I mean it. No, no, that was so... so (laughs) You're like, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Say it again. No, but it's like, I mean, I think a lot of people don't talk about the uncertainty behind where you want to end up or if you, you know, want to do well financially if you want to do well creatively like there were so many aspects to consider I think it's not discussed as much and you know it's very okay to not know what your next move's gonna be because we're just children at this point I mean leave us alone (laughs) yeah yeah exactly like tell your folks I say hello also I will also see you guys your entire family who I haven't seen in a year so long it's crazy So crazy, but thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. I appreciate it so much. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. I loved speaking with Jillian about her transfer experience and learning about how it's never too late to find your people and find your home wherever that might be on or off a college campus transferring or where you started out. And I think it's just a friendly reminder that there's not one path for everyone to take and you have to do what's best for you ultimately. And so I hope listening to this episode, you got that. So I hope you stay safe and healthy. Bye.